Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. Dr. Kathy Greenberg, unfortunately, will not be with us today. She is traveling, and she's very sorry to miss this because we have an exciting show. We're going to talk about glass walls, not glass ceilings, glass walls, shattering the six gender bias barriers, still holding women back at work. So we're really pleased to have uh, Amy uh, Deal and Luann Dubinsky. I'll go through their uh, bios. They're both very, very educated, both have PhDs, and we'll go through that in just a moment. And our little intro here for Leadership Development News, you know, we've been doing this for 16 years, and we're always trying to provide some tips, some tools, some research, evidence-based on the cutting edge that's going to help you perform in the top 10% or may help your team perform in the top 10%. You know, that uh, top 10% is a tipping point of sorts. The more people you can get into that top 10%, the more profitable it's going to be for you, People are going to feel more engaged, um, all the different aspects. So I'll go through a little bit uh, of the research for you right now. You know, uh, we have a free ebook on our site, uh, www.emotionalbrilliance.com slash academy, uh, the 11 reasons why you need emotional intelligence. And so today, especially, we need that. Some of the research that we know from Gallup and other aspects, people are feeling more stressed more sadness, anger, worry, physical pain than ever before. So you think about this. We like to talk about everything is more now, all is more, and a lot of pressure, a lot of stress on our leaders and organizations. Seventy-five percent of people want more emotional support, and they're looking to you, the leader of the organization, the leader of the team, could be the parent, your family is looking to you for more support. So what do you do to be in that moment? How do you be brilliant in that moment? And that's a lot of our research that we have. We know from Six Seconds, who's a researcher in emotional intelligence, that emotional intelligence has actually gone down uh, a few points in the last years coming out of the pandemic, but that teams and organizations that have a focus more on emotional intelligence uh, are more profitable, they have higher engagement, their teams, their bench strengths are stronger. And so a lot of this has to do with empathy, and we'll hear a little bit more about kind of the empathy around the gender issue that we all need to help us with the unconscious bias that we have. And if you're a leader and you are just average in empathy, that your levels of of innovation and engagement are going to be less. But if you are a top leader in empathy, it's as high as 76% in workers' engagement, 41% in innovation. But that's about a 22% uh, increase than if you're just average versus if you're a top uh, performer. So one of the things that we want to focus on today, and let me introduce our guests, is really how to bring awareness more to the 
the gender issue that falls under diversity and inclusion. Almost every organization that I'm involved with now, you know, has a diversity and inclusion department. Uh, I'm on the faculty of the College of Executive Coaching. We have special, you know, coursework for people that we have, you know, who want to be coaches, especially around diversity and inclusion. So we're really privileged to have uh, Dr. Amy Deal and Dr. Leanne Dubinsky here. Their book just came out last week, and Glass Walls, Shattering the Six Gender Bias Barriers, Still Holding Women Back at Work Today. Uh, each of their bios I'll go through briefly. Uh, Amy is an award-winning information technology leader and gender equity researcher who has authored numerous scholarly journal articles and book chapters. Her writings also appeared in Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Ms. Magazine. Glass Walls is her first book, and I know she's really excited about this. And she's also a sought-after speaker, consultant, lawsuit expert witness. She resides in a small town of Pennsylvania, and you can visit her online at Amy, A-M-Y, dash deal, which is D-I-E-H-L dot com, Amy dash deal com, And then let me tell you about Dr. Lou Ann Dubinsky. She's the acting dean and associate professor of intercultural education in the Cook School of Intercultural Studies at Biola University in California. So she's here in California where I'm located. She is the author of Women in the Mission of the Church and Their Opportunities and Obstacles Throughout Christian History and Playing by the Rules, How Women Lead an Evangelical Mission Organization. She has written many scholarly articles related to gender bias, and her work has been published in Harvard Business Review and Fast Company. Prior to moving to California, she worked in Western Europe for many, many years. So, Amy and Leanne, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're delighted to be here with you today. Yeah, and I know we we wanted to have you last week. Your book just came out, so I'm sure you're you're doing other shows and 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 promoting the book. So we want to help support, you know, as much as we can because I think you have a you know a great uh, topic here, which I'm interested to learn more from. So um, typically, we like to start off to give us a little background, uh, so our listeners have an idea of what helped you become who you are, and maybe we'll hear first from Amy and then Leanne. Some of the major influences in your life that has allowed you to, to build kind of this crescendo in your career today, you know, having your book. Yeah, Amy? this is Amy. I'll go ahead and start. I love this question um, because it really is everything in our lives that build, you know, to a certain to a certain point. And for me, the major influencer, the first major influencer in my life, I would say, has been my mother. Um, she was mm-hmm. the first in her, first and only in her family. Um, there were eight children total, a farm family. Um, she was the first and only to go to college. And um, after she had graduated college, she worked for a little bit of time. Um, and then she had gotten married and she had gotten pregnant with me and she um, had decided to stay home. And so she stayed home uh, for about eight or nine years or so. And um, by that point, I was like, eight or nine uh, years old, and I was able to, you know, I was cognizant of sort of what was going on, and I was, wa- I was watch her, um, 
and combine uh, career and family. And when she was, when she first went back to work, she took a clerical uh, role. But I watched her turn that clerical mm. role into a professional role uh, for clerical pay, mind you. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But she was doing professional level work. And um, eventually she got hired by another, she was hired into one organization as a clerical role. Eventually she got hired into another organization in a, in a professional role um, where she uh, finished out her career. Um, but I really, you know, she was really the first major influence in terms of this, you know, the idea of, first of all, instilling the love of learning in me. Um, it was no, there was no doubt I was going to go to college, um, but also, you know, how to be a uh, successful person in the workplace and a successful um, mother. Um, so I went into college in a, into a male-dominated field, uh, computer science, and while I was in college, I never really felt any barriers related to my gender because um, I got all A's. It, was, it was, wasn't easy, but I applied myself and I, and I did well. And the next um, two major influencers on my life were I had a, while I was still in college, I had an internship that after college turned into a full-time role. And in, in the internship and the full-time role, I had two different female bosses, and they were female managers mm-hmm. in charge of a, a software engineering. Uh, so they were in charge of mostly men. And, you know, looking, having them as serve as role models for me, I, I never doubted or actually it actually, it actually um, implanted the, this idea in my mind that I could be a manager, I could be a leader because I watched, I watched these two women uh-huh. and never, you know, like, why not? I've had these two women in front of me. Um, and uh, after that role, I ended up going into another role where it was completely male, the, the department was completely male dominated. And there I started really yeah. running into um, some issues related to my, to my gender. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Um, I eventually started a PhD program in administration and leadership studies where I um, started um, studying gender barriers that women in leadership were facing. And I wrote about that in my dissertation. And then a year after I uh-huh. had finished my PhD, I um, met Leanne at a conference. And she became another major influencer in my life uh, who we've been, we became research partners um, nine years ago and we've um, done many things since, but I want to um, turn it over to Leanne and let her talk about the influencers in her life and she can pick up the story of our collaboration together. Oh, that's great. Okay. Thanks for kind of bringing that in, how the, how the two of you came together. Yeah, go ahead, Leanne. So give us a little background on kind of your influences. Yeah, sure. So, um, my similar to Amy, some family influences are really important. My grandmother, who with a high school education managed to become a bank vice president, and so I always saw her wow. as a strong professional woman. And then my mom, and one of our favorite stories from her is that she was admitted to a master's degree at a university conditionally and would be allowed to start in the winter quarter provided some of the men who were admitted for the fall quarter dropped out and there was space for her. And at the time, wow. you know, she was like, oh, good, I got in. But now we talk about it and we go, <laughs> good grief, how biased was that, you know? Right, um, right. So I, ha- I had really good role models there. But then as a young adult, I have really been fortunate to have a few men who saw my capacity and invited me into hmm. spaces kind of as a, a sponsor. We talk about having a sponsor in our book. So one was a university professor who met me when I was living overseas, and he asked me to come back to the U.S. and teach a course for him on women in leadership as an adjunct at the university where he taught. And that was really a significant um, event because it started opening other doors for me once I had that teaching on my 
on my CV, it made it easier to get other positions. And then another man was a work colleague who saw my capacity as an adult educator and invited me to join him in developing some in-house training, in-house leader development training for the organization that we were with. And so thanks to him, I also had opportunities to build skills and to build confidence. And then, as Amy said, we met in 2014 at a conference, and we realized that we'd been researching very similar topics, although in very different settings. And so Amy had looked at women leaders in higher education, which we all think of as being liberal and I had looked at women leaders in faith-based nonprofit organizations, which, of course, we think of religion as being really conservative. And so we expected that our women participants would have had really different experiences. But the more she and I talked about it, the more we looked at the stories our women told, the more we realized that they were really experiencing very similar things. And so the more we pushed into this, the more we came to the conclusion that really the problem is about being a woman at work. It doesn't matter so much what field or what industry or what kind of work you're doing. And so we set out to name and to describe all these challenges that women encounter just because they're women and that frequently men don't encounter when they go to work. And we've been collaborating on this research, like she said, for the past nine years, learning from each other and learning together. And the culmination is our new book, Glass Walls. Uh, that's really exciting. Well, uh, really good to hear uh, how the two of you met. I'm going to ask you this question that, that, that we hadn't posed before. But, you know, um, Leanne, if you were to describe Amy in just in two or three words, and then, Amy, if you were to describe uh-huh. Leanne in just two or three words, you know, I know you collaborated together, but what would, uh, Leanne, what would those two or three words be about Amy? Oh, wow. I would say she is brilliant. And I would say she is relentlessly diligent in working on this topic and that she is passionately um, invested in bringing change. Wow. I I can hear the emotions uh, in your voice. That's great to hear that. And Amy, if you were in two or three words to describe Leanne, what would you say? Can I just say ditto? To that, I would add, Leanne is, um, um, it is also, in, the words that I would add would be, Leanne is also um, encouraging and also, re, I think uh-huh. she did say relentless. Like, um, she's also, the other thing that, I guess there's another word I would add, and that would be um, the word friend. Um I would. I uh-huh. remember the first conversation that we had in. We were in the airport at this conference. We were both going home, um, and we had a little bit of time in the airport. And I remember talking to her and saying, "I think we're best friends now." <laughs> um, wow. Because we, um, you know, just in this short time, we realized we had so much in common, and that our research was so aligned. And it was like I could foresee it from that moment that we would have um, a, a partnership. I didn't necessarily dream of how far this partnership would take us, um, but at that point, um, but it was our, our connection was immediate. Um, so that's what I would say. That's great. Yeah, uh, well, that's great. Well, thank thank you for that. Thank you for that. I can hear that connection, and we know from neuroscience, you know, people feel that connection. You're on the same wave wavelength, and there's a lot of science behind that. So it sounds like the two of you were able to connect that and then bring that forward. You know. Um, in your book, you talk about uh, right on the cover that there's still barriers for women, which is not really surprising. Um, but since there's a lot of books on the topic, so what's unique about the point of view 
that you both think, you know, you're adding to this important conversation? And maybe, Amy, you could start us off on that. Yeah. So Glass Walls is based on our original research in which we actually discovered the six core barriers that, that make up this, what's often thought of as a nebulous concept of gender bias. Um, we didn't just pick and choose a few obstacles to highlight. That's not what this book is. Um, to give you the short background, we um, had, at one point, several years ago, we collaborated with two other researchers, um, two quantitative researchers, doctors Amber Stevenson and David Wong, uh, to create a scale to measure gender bias. And it was out of the mm. scale development that we were able to identify the six uh, core factors um, and uh, um, so that research was published, and then Leanne and I went on to um, to work with the six core factors and uh, identify even more qualitative research, uh, which are things like interviews, public posts, um, public blog, blog posts, uh, articles, um, any any stories that we could find of women where they were talking about gender bias, um, which we used as the foundation uh, for this book. Um, so our book is a systematic research-based overview of the six barriers and the subcomponents that make up the six barriers. Uh, we tell the stories of women, both famous women and everyday women, who who've experienced each barrier. And then each chapter provides solutions to the specific barriers, uh, solutions on three levels, um, solutions for leaders, solutions for workplace allies, and solutions for the women themselves. Um, it's a comprehensive guidebook. Um, we always say that we wrote the book that we wish we had when we were starting out at work, in the workforce, in our careers. Um, and we also think that readers will want to, after they've read it, they will want to keep it on their bookshelf and use it as a reference throughout their careers. That's really great to, uh, great to hear. Um, and we're really excited. I, you know, I want to get into the, into the six barriers. But we're going to take our first break. So you're listening to Leadership Development News. Come right back, and you'll hear more about the six barriers, the glass walls shattering six gender bias barriers. Come right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Icy Tech, like the hard-working men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand with quality with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. 
They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common-sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with the two co-authors of Glass Walls, Shattering the Six Gender Bias Barriers Still holding women back at work. We're going to get into what those six barriers are in a minute. Uh, I'm sure you can get the book on Amazon. Let me give you Amy Deal's website. There is a book page on that, and that's Amy, A-M-Y, dash, Deal, D-I-E-H-L.com, and you will be able, also be able to hear more about the uh, the book. And then so you, you piqued my interest, and I'm sure our audience, too, about the six barriers, and we'll get into more uh Leanne, you want to give us the three of them? Sure. So the first barrier that we identified is called male privilege. And what this is, is men's inherent advantage caused by workplace cultures in which men are the leaders. They control the resources, they set the standards, and they assign women to a second-class status. Now, male privilege is sort of the bedrock from which all the other barriers grow. And I do want to emphasize that this is just how organizations have been built over the years. It's not always Uh intentional. Sometimes it is. But by and large, organizations have just been built with men's lifestyles and needs in mind. And so it inherently privileges them. But then coming out of that male privilege environment, we have disproportionate constraints, which is the second barrier. So in this setting, women are constrained to act in ways that are supportive of men, and women are held to Mm. unequal standards compared to men. So one of the ones that we hear about all the time in this area is um, constraining women's voices, muting their voices. It can be Mm. the most subtle, and it can be the most prevalent. Mm -hmm. It happens to women almost literally every single day. So when a woman tries wow. uh, to say something in a meeting and she gets interrupted or she says that yep. nobody pays attention and then the guy across the table picks it up and repeats it and everybody says, oh, that's brilliant, that's the kind of muting of women's voices that they have uh, to deal with when they yep, go to work. I've, I've seen yeah. that so many times. Yeah, you see it so many times. And then, what's, and then the, what's third the third barrier one? is insufficient support, 
which is women's lack of access to social structures and to networks that would help them advance. So this can include unsupportive leaders who ignore women's needs or their concerns or who trivialize them, sometimes even disbelieve them when they report problems or discrimination and harassment. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I've certainly seen those. You know, I know some of the research that uh, men interrupt women as much as three times as much as women interrupt uh, men. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that's part of mm-hmm. what you see there. So we got those those three: male privilege, disproportionate um, support, and insufficient support. Um, and then, so what are the other three, Amy? Yeah, just to um, correct you, the second one is disproportionate constraints. Um, but constraints. I'm going to go okay. on to number yeah constraints. Yeah, I'm going to go on to number four. Number four is devaluation. Devaluation uh, consists of attempts to make women seem unimportant and detract from their authority. So examples are things like being paid less than men for the same work, which unfortunately we see that all the time still. Another example is being assigned something called office housework. Um, Do you know what office Mm. housework is, Relly? No, you can define it for me, yeah. Yeah, so office housework is all the tasks that keep an office or workplace running smoothly. It's things like taking notes in a meeting or scheduling meetings or Uh um, cleaning out the office refrigerator or even just helping a colleague Uh with with their project. But what happens is women are are often expected to do these tasks without reward, without acknowledgement, and if they refuse, then they often experience backlash. So whereas a man might just say, a man's asked to order coffee, let's say. He might just say, oh, I'm busy. The woman says no. She's yeah. likely to experience backlash uh, to that. Um, uh-huh. So we talk, We have a whole section on office, on office housework. Um, another one in this category is something uh, called credibility deficit. And credibility deficit is a uh, word that we coined for the book, and it's when women's hmm. words are not believed because they are women. Um, and actually, just mm-hmm. today in Fast Company, if uh, anyone is interested, there's an, art, an excerpt from our book on this topic, Credibility uh, Deficit, uh, that was just published uh, today. Um, and, uh, it, again, it's another one that, unfortunately, uh, still happens to women every day. And th- for this one, we say if you've ever been asked, if, you ever, if you've ever made a statement and the man next to you says, are you sure that's right? Or he looks to another man to second your what uh-huh. you just said. That's that's credibility deficit. Wow. Um, yeah. Moving on to the fifth so barrier. The, the fifth one. Go ahead. I was just saying, I'm, I'm having an emotional reaction, and I'm, and I'm <laughs> sure that's part of what your your book is too, because I've seen it, and it's so. Anyway, I just <laughs> want to let you know I'm having an emotional reaction to this. And then, what's the sixth one? Uh, the fifth one is hostility. Hostility is active resistance to women's presence in the workplace through things like overt mm. discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. And the goal is wow. to keep women in their supposed place. And I want to make a note that this yeah. includes female hostility, uh, things such as que- queen bee mm. behaviors. Um, right. And the queen bee behavior happens when a woman at the top fails to help or support women underneath her or sometimes actively harasses, harasses the, um, the junior women. Um, and the thing we always note here is that because of the male-controlled or the male-normed environment, these upper-level women may feel insecure in their own positions and therefore try to keep other women down. 
Uh, so wow. So that kind of- in our book, we're very clear not to put blame on women or even blame on specific men. Um, it's really all, all of the stuff right. really just arises from um, how institutions yeah. were built and formed. Um, and it all goes back to that male privilege that Leanne talked about. Um, wow, these are and then the last, Yeah, the last and final uh, barrier is uh, acquiescence. So due to the combined weight of all the other barriers, Women internalize the obstacles, accept them as valid, and adapt to the limitations. So I'm going to give two examples in this in this category. The first one is self-silencing, where women keep quiet on workplace sexism, or and sometimes they keep quiet on um, harassment or um, bad behavior that happens to them, and it's all for their own self-protection. Um, and then the second aspect of acquiescence, um, and the very final thing that we talk about, final um, subcomponent that we talk about is self-limited aspirations. And this is where women make a Mm. very rational choice to not pursue advancement um, because they don't want to deal with all of the hassles that men do not face. They see all the barriers that they've already faced. They recognize what they might be up against if they, you know, continue to pursue um, advancement, um, and so they decide, I'm going to stay put or I'm going to leave the organization, um, you know, maybe work for myself, um, anything to get away from, you know, the, 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 these barriers that are unfortunately still built into our workplace environments. So, like I said uh, a moment ago, so these are powerful. Um, and, you know, I'm having a reaction that, you know, kind of how, how unfair, how biased. And part of, you know, what I try to do with leaders is raise the awareness you know, men and women to, you know, bias and to what may be holding them back, which then maybe are these, these barriers. Uh, so as a man, you know, it's interesting interviewing you two women uh, about this. So uh, I'll personalize this, you know, so what can I do and what can men do to kind of raise my awareness? Uh, and for the men that I coach and the, and the executives, so what can they do uh given the, you know, your first bias is the male privilege to, to raise the awareness around that. I can take this one. So we, we love yeah, this question. We love this question because we really want to see all of us working together on this problem, and we believe it is completely solvable. And so part of the strategy is really true, to, truly to get men aware and on board with this conversation. Um, obviously, gender bias is harmful to women's lives and careers, But sometimes I think men don't slow down and realize that it also can be hurtful to their own lives and careers, right? Because preventing women from Mm -hmm. contributing equally at work thwarts the organization reaching its goals. It thwarts us finding solutions to social problems. It stops organizations from really thriving. And it can keep men, too, also locked into unhelpful gender stereotypes. It can limit their perspectives and keep them stuck with very rigid-feeling work requirements. And so we believe that uh, getting everybody on board to work on this problem is going to benefit all of us. One of the stories that we let, tell in the book is the biochemist, Dr. Catalin Carrico. She was instrumental in developing the mRNA COVID-19 vaccine, but she encountered so much gender bias while doing her research at the University of Pennsylvania. This was back in the mid-90s and early 2000s. And she just countered barrier after barrier, but she kept going and her work set the foundation for the fast development of that vaccine that so many benefited from during the, during this global pandemic that we've been part of. So 
we like to say, you know, she persevered, Dr. Kariko. She was able to do it. But think about how much more successful and how much more quickly she could have been successful if she'd been properly supported at work rather than mm-hmm. being subjected to this gender bias, right? And so, so many women are held back from their potential influence or forced to drop out of the workplace because of this kind of stuff. And it becomes a loss to all of us, men, women, children, everyone. So that's so important, you know, and I'm just going to highlight a, a piece of research, and I'm sure you have this from McKinsey, uh, you know, consulting firm, that companies that with greater gender, ethnic, and cultural diversity in their executive teams outperform their peers on profitability. You know, and I work with a lot of executive teams, and, and as you mm-hmm. probably would know and expect, you know, maybe there's one or two women, you know, so it's usually probably under uh, 25 or 30%. Uh, and really trying to encourage them as a as an executive coach and psychologist, um, you know, how to have that voice, you know, speaking up uh, even more so. And then so, so Amy, you guys have there's this is so rich. But if there was like one key takeaway, uh, what would you want it to be from the book? And then we'll kind of go a little deeper. Yeah. So um, I actually have two key takeaways. <laughs> um, the first okay, one is for fine. women. Um, <laughs> Women should not take gender bias personally, and unfortunately, um, still happens to all of us. And as we say in the book, no woman at work is immune to, to gender bias. Um, I think back of my my own career when I had um, encountered different barriers, especially early on before I started studying this topic. I thought I was at fault. I thought I was doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I encountered um, a, a number of. Um, in individuals, women who were queen acting with queen bee behavior towards me, and I, mm-hmm. I honestly thought I was doing something wrong. Um, you know that I, like I didn't understand. You know where this was coming from. Um, I thought it was personal, directed at you know at me and my and my work. Um, but studying it, I've learned that it's we have learned that it's it's not just me. It's a um, unfortunately a global phenomenon. It happens to all of us. Um, but that, but the, that leads me into the second takeaway. It is a completely solvable problem. Um, leaders, allies, men, women, people of any gender um, can use the strategies that we outline in our book um, to to combat these barriers um, and to create a, a gender equitable world. world. So, uh, well, thank you, for, you know, for that, and we kind of summarizing some of the takeaways. But it does sound like, you know, there's so much in this, and I like kind of the optimistic view. Some of the other questions we'll ask, you know, now is saying, what can we do about this? Because, uh, you know, some is some is unconscious bias, and some obviously for men is conscious bias. You know, feeling mm-hmm. whatever they may be feeling, whether mm-hmm. it's feeling threatened, um, you know, it somehow is a threat to their own ego, and is that we talk about this, you know, on this topic of feeling in control versus depressed. And I'll ask this to you, Leanne, about the environment uh, women have to deal with. Um, you know, when you think about taking charge of your success, and that's what I like, I was saying about kind of the optimism, because you could get really depressed about that. This is the way the culture is. <laughs> so what would you say, uh, you know, that women can do to be able to deal with that better? Yeah, thank you. You know, we we really did realize that this can feel like a heavy and depressing topic. And so each chapter has strategies built in for leaders, for allies, and for women themselves. But then, as you mentioned, we do have a whole chapter 
about what women can do, because we do want to leave readers with a sense of hope and not a feeling of, of complete despair. Um, we recognize this whole problem is way too big for any one of us to solve alone. And we also want each woman to know, like Amy said, it's not personal to her, and it is possible to take steps, if you're a woman, to improve your situation. I think we women were so conditioned to put others first and to neglect our own well-being. Mm -hmm. So Amy and I want to kind of turn that message on its head and say, you can take steps. It's okay. Amy and I both still encounter bias in our work lives, too. And um, we encourage each other about how to handle it. And sometimes we joke that we don't really want to be living out our own research. But having strategies and options uh-huh. as a woman will help you not feel hopeless and not feel trapped. And so we have that whole chapter that covers all the different steps women can take um, from, uh-huh. from enlisting allies all the way up to leaving if you have to. Okay. And so I, I want to gonna... really, I want to jump in and add, ahead, and add just one more comment about that, and yeah, sure. um, to say that this is this is not a fix the women book. So the, the right. strategies that we give, like we are not telling women to change anything about themselves, or not to change their hair, not to mm. wear, you know, change their makeup, change their behavior. Um, it's not about fixing women. <laughs> it's about changing no. the workplace culture. <laughs> so in the book, we do put the. Um, onus on leaders to change change the workplace culture. And when we give strategies uh, for women, it's all about how do they navigate bias? How do they mitigate bias? Um, how it, mm-hmm. These strategies are ba- were based on um, research I had done in my dissertation about how to navigate adversity. Okay. And um, think about a bias as a type of adversity. Um, and so that's, that's, that's where we, the types of solutions that we give to women. Okay. And so uh, we're going to go to our our next break, but I think when we come back, uh, Amy and Leanne, you know, maybe we can get into a couple of those, those strategies. And, uh, you know, I also uh, love the idea of kind of the workplace 10 or 15 years from now. Where do you see that? And uh, so you have some really good things we want to uh, dive back into. So you're listening to Leadership Development News. Come right back. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Icy Tech. Like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. 
It's a way of life. IC Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. IC Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. We're talking with Dr. Amy Deal, Dr. Leanne Dubinsky. Their new book just came out last week, Glass Walls, Shattering the Six Gender Bias Barriers, Still Holding Women Back. And let me just put a little plug in here that uh, my co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, who has been a senior uh, consultant at two of the big consultants in the world. I'm just sorry she's not here because she is uh, a great example of a, of a high performer, and I'm sure she's uh, missing this. So, Kathy, a little shout-out to you. Sorry you're not here with us. So going back to some of the advice that you would offer to employers who want to future-proof their organization. And what I love about your book and both of you, just the research base, the evidence base that we always try to share here on Leadership Development News, and maybe, Amy, you could – uh, kick that off, you know, to employers who want to future-proof their organization? Yeah. So I like this question a lot. Um, the best advice that I can offer is to become fully gender-inclusive. Uh, bring women into your organization at equivalent levels to men and, and as part of very important, uh, support them fully. Um, so as I said, we do put the onus on leaders in our book to make change and to make um, change for gender equity and inclusivity. Um, but I want to give an example. This example is actually not in the book because it, this example came out after we had finished most of the writing. Um, otherwise, I probably, we probably would have included it. But the example is the company Victoria's Secret. Now, we all know about Victoria's Secret. You know, the women's um, intimate apparel is, their, um, is what they sell. Um, there was a recent documentary, a Victoria's Secret documentary on Hulu. And in the documentary, part of the documentary described their organization, uh, organizational structure. They had two men who were at the top, who were in charge. One of the men on the documentary commented that he thought it was great that they actually had so, they had so many women at Victoria's Secret in so many senior level roles. But in the documentary, these women stated that even though they were present in these high-level roles, it was really the two men making all the decisions. And to give Mm -hmm. you an example, years ago, one of the women executives suggested adding shapewear as well as items that would make uh, be more comfortable to wear. Um, But these two men dismissed dismissed the idea. They were trying to sell products that fit the male gaze. 
So later what mm. happened was Victoria's Secret lost market share when other brands, such as Third Love, uh, started offering bras and underwear that were comfortable and that were marketed to a diverse range of body types. So Victoria's mm. Secret came very late to the game of inclu- uh, to um, having inclusivity in their products and marketing, and they lost revenue simply because they weren't listening to the women that they had hired. Uh, this is called male gatekeeping. Male gatekeeping is a is in the um, a type of male privilege. It's in Chapter 1 where we talk about male, male privilege. Male gatekeeping occurs when women are, or excuse me, when men are at the top of an organization, and they do let women in to certain roles for appearance sake, but they constrain women's authority. So if, women, mm-hmm. if organizations really want to future-proof themselves, what they need to do is stop hiring women only for the sake of appearance. Um, hire them, yes, ask them for their opinions, incorporate their counsel, and let them lead. That's great. That's beautiful. Um, and a new term for me uh, was fit the male gaze. So that's interesting because even that bringing the awareness and that kind of unconscious bias, you know, here is that whole business uh, kind of fit, maybe not so much for women, but more so in addition to the male gaze. Yeah, we well, see that in a that. lot of there's a lot of uh, industries. Filmmaking is one in particular that often films are shot because you got a male producer, male producer, male director, male, you know, whatever, male, men yeah. in charge. They're shot from a man's <laughs> perspective rather than a than a woman's. Um, but here's an example uh, of a company that was marketing their products towards to fit the male gaze and not and as, instead of the the consumer, the female consumer's needs. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that happens, you know, all the time. And then they get you know, what gets their attention is just like you said, Amy. Then all of a sudden they lose market share or somebody else who's more inclusive. And it goes mm-hmm. back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, inclusive companies, you know, are going to be more more profitable, come up with better ideas. So that's a great example. Yep. So what, one of the other things is uh, thinking about this. So what do you predict will be the biggest gaps between employers who are willing to offer what employees actually expect and move forward? And what strategies would you offer to reconcile these gaps? So what do you think the gaps would be for employers? And then, you know, your book seems like it has a, a, a lot of really positive strategies, and this one in particular, to reconcile those gaps. Dan? Sure. I can tackle this one. So I think one of the biggest gaps that we're currently seeing is um, employers who are really pushing hard to bring workers back to the office and so many employees mm-hmm. with a desire to continue with remote or flexible work now that we've learned how we can do things differently during the pandemic. So while the classic five-day, eight-plus-hour model does work for some people, it is steadily in many fields becoming less necessary and therefore less appealing to many workers. So anyone with caregiving responsibilities, for example, and that could mm-hmm. be elder care, child care, it could be care for a differently abled relative, it could be really any kind of care at all, They benefit when work is flexible and remote, and often that's women, but it isn't always women who want these kinds of flexible um, arrangements. And reduced commute time is good for employees' mental health. It's good for the environment. It produces a smaller carbon footprint. So there are a lot of other gains that sometimes organizations are not taking into account when they're just pushing to get everybody back into the office on the old schedule. Um, But another big gap, honestly, is the persistence of gender bias at work. Researchers, including Amy and me, have been studying this problem for years. 
And at first, people thought it was just a pipeline problem, and that once we got more women into the workforce, this bias would start to disappear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's turned out that this sort of add women and stir approach doesn't actually change anything. Uh, we recently published an article in Harvard Business Review where we studied four gender-balanced industries, and we found that even there, bias still persists. And it's back to what we said at the beginning. Organizations have been developed with primarily men's lifestyles and needs in mind, and often, honestly, assume that there's a spouse available to handle everything else, right? Personal caretaking needs. And this idea that women or that workers should be fully available 24-7 for the company is really not realistic for anyone, for any of us. And especially women, when they enter those kinds of workplaces, may find themselves feeling very much like an outsider. They may, the organization may feel like a boys' club. The women may feel like their voices are constrained, mm-hmm. and they may not feel themselves to be fully supported. They may even feel diminished and treated as, as less than. So to combat mm-hmm. this, these gaps, and to create more inclusive workplaces does take intentionality, but Amy and I fully believe it can be done. It's, um, we said, you've said, you talked about the business case, and there's so much additional research to banks, medical field, everywhere about how much better p- companies perform when mm-hmm. they have more diverse and equitable voices speaking into their decisions. And the moral case, honestly, is clear, too. It's just the right thing to do. So we have a whole list of concrete strategies we've identified to create climates of cooperation, to measure goal achievement, not just time in the office, to implement equitable reward structures, to support autonomy, to support road remote work, make sure decision-making processes are transparent. All of these kinds of things are going to support the company and help reduce those gaps that we're facing. So it does. it is kind of like, a, as you're saying, a field guide that if someone reads the book, um, it sounds like uh, a plethora of ideas, and so any one or two or three of those are really going to move the organization forward. Um, yeah, maybe share a little bit about those. I'm looking back at some of the notes before, but around leaders, allies, and I think uh, if I can read my writing, women. What, like, say a little bit more about the allies. Like, so um, what can, what are some of the actions that you have around that? Because I think that'll be important for our listeners. And Amy, you want to take that one? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so allies, if I had to summarize the advice for allies, it's, it is to be, it is to, to jump in and support women publicly and in private. Um, so, mm. and it's to call, to call out the bias when you see it. Again, whether it's in a public situation or a private setting, whether the women are in the room or the women are in, aren't in the room. Yeah. Um, the quick example is for something that we like to give is for something called heat-heating. Um, it's a part of mute, women's voices being muted, but heat-heating occurs when a woman states an idea and it's ignored, and then a man says the same thing and everyone loves it. <laughs> so if you're in a meeting um, and, you're, and your female co- this happens to your female colleague, direct the attention back to her. You can say, Anna yes. just said this. You gave that idea. It's a wonderful idea. Let's hear more about what she thinks about it. Right. So that's one example of if you're in a public setting, the woman's in the room. But if you're in the other way to support women is when women are not in the room, like during hiring decisions, during promotional decisions. If you're in the room, uh, um, you know, making helping to make those decisions or just providing input to to another person who's making the decision, 
make sure that you are um, suggesting women um, for, for the roles. Make sure that you are highlighting their skills and achievements. Make sure that you are looking out for ways that um, the others may be biased against the women. Like, for example, the, the maybe, I don't know if it's an obvious example or not, but often women are um, excluded from hiring or promotions because of childbearing. Either they've they're pregnant, they may become pregnant, they, or they, it's just because they're a woman and they have the capacity to become pregnant. <laughs> um, if you hear any talk like that, subtle or overt, you know, shut it down, mm-hmm. call it out, and, and, and make sure that you're standing up for women to be treated equitably um, in, those, in those private settings as well as the public ones. So, so Amy and Leanne, what I love about that, you know, from the emotional intelligence model that we try to bring to organizations, you really start with awareness. Everything is awareness, and, and your book brings an awareness. But then on the other side, the other coin really is around um, regulation, management, adjustment. And so I think from that aspect, the interventions that you have can really say, okay, here's the how-to piece. And I think, you know, all three of us here seem to be really focused on the how-to and how do we help leaders. So it sounds like some of this, especially for me, for men to raise their awareness, and especially I love what you said, the he-peating. I haven't heard that one before, too. And to say, wait a minute, so-and-so just said that. And so to raise my awareness that that – and then the adjustment part is i got to give a voice to that. That was a slight. And so I need, as a male in the room, to bring that uh, bias back up and, you know, and honor what was going on there. So we're going to bring us to a close here. But it also just seems like maybe get your take, you know, it seems like there's a new headline every day, the great resignation, the great configuration, now the great reevaluation. I haven't heard that one. Maybe say a word about that. These important messages leaders need to hear from the headlines and, and how do these companies uh, need to evolve. So what's the uh, maybe the great reevaluation? And then, uh, Amy, you want to take that? And then Leanne will have you kind of bring it to a close. Any last, last thoughts? Amy? Yeah, that's yeah, that's fine. So um, it's a great reevaluation. You know, coming out again, coming through, or you know, a, pan, a pandemic has really led uh, organizations and even more so, I think, employees to reevaluate what's important. Um, and the most important thing that leaders should understand is that people are tired of the status quo. Um, Rigid, inflexible work environments may serve affluent male CEOs, but they really demean women and our shared humanity. So one thing is that top leaders should really understand that the majorities of their workforce are not like them. Most of the workforce does not have a stay-at-home partner or, or, and or paid household staff. Um, the leaders should pay attention to and value their employees, especially and most importantly, those that, who have been marginalized, like women. Uh, leaders should offer remote work whenever possible, flexibility to everyone. Um, they should have policies like paid parental leave, and they should also offer um, subsidized but high-quality child care um, to, help, to help parents, um, you know, navigate um, work-life balance between having, you know, having a job and having having kids or having elders to take care of. Um, they should also help employees maintain boundaries around their work and their personal lives or their families. And here the example is not expecting or requiring 24 by 7 availability. So since the pandemic, employees realize they have options. If you don't make your workforce accommodating to the everyday needs of your staff, I can tell you that they will go find a workplace that will. 
So that's a great way to end it. And in the end, give you maybe a last uh, uh, sense of take uh, any takeaways uh, around your book, The Glass Wall, Shattering the Six Gender Biases, Barriers Still Holding Women Back. So, Leanne, any closing uh, responses before we bring it to a close here? Sure. Just very briefly, I would say get a copy, read it, and then do something. The worst thing you can do after listening to us is not to do anything. So it doesn't really matter where you start. Just get a copy, read it, and do something to improve your workplace or your own situation. Beautiful. Well, it sounds like there's plenty of things in there, and I love that. You know, do something and, and, do, and then maybe do many things. So you've been listening maybe to many. Leadership <laughs> Development News. Yes, and maybe many. Profiles and practices of top performers. Tune in again next week. And uh, we're glad to have both Leanne and Amy. Thank you so much for this. Take care. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.